Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Happy to have you back with us. We have another big recruiting event to preview here later on this episode. Tyler Calvaruso will hop back into the show and give us several more names to keep an eye on as another Saturday Junior Day takes place here in Happy Valley. Uh, we have uh, some so- rising sophomores, rising juniors to get into. I guess now they're rising juniors and rising seniors as member of the 2025 and 2026 class. Uh, so a bunch of those early targets that Penn State developed last year are now becoming more priority targets as they're getting later into their high school career and the 2024 class has been signed. So a bunch to dive into with Tyler a little bit later, but we're actually going to pick up this episode where we kind of finish off our Tuesday episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We had Patrick Murphy from the Ohio State site within our 24-7 Sports Network joining us for an extended conversation on Julian Fleming, a former five-star recruit out of the state of Pennsylvania who spent four years in Columbus. And if you missed that, go back, check it out from Tuesday, along with recapping all the junior day activity from last week, the commits, the new offers, some new targets and stuff like that. We broke down Julian Fleming's time at Ohio State and, and some of the questions Patrick now has as Fleming makes the switch to Penn State, a new receivers room, a new offense, et cetera. We're going to do that today, but look at the cornerback position where Penn State went into SEC territory for a couple of pickups who enrolled in January. Jalen Kimber out of Florida will be a topic of conversation for us in about 10 minutes or so. But we pick up things here on this episode with Jordan Hill, who covers the Georgia Bulldogs for 24-7 sports and covered A.J. Harris not only when he was a freshman at Georgia this past fall, but also when he was a high school star, a five-star actually, in the state of Alabama. So without further ado, let's bring in Jordan Hill, kind enough to join us here on a Thursday afternoon. Appreciate your time, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to uh, spend some time with you guys and let you guys know a little bit more about A.J. Harris. Sure. Well, the first thing that stands out, it's something that we threw into the headline when he committed to Penn State and he was making his way here is he is a former five-star prospect. And it's one thing when we're talking about a guy like Julian Fleming, who's now 23 years old and it feels pretty far in the rearview mirror when he was a five-star prospect. Harris enrolled at Georgia last January as a five-star freshman. And uh, I I know that that's not something that's necessarily rare in Athens, bringing in five-star prospects, but can we go back to that time period and what kind of excitement, what kind of feedback you were hearing about A.J. Harris being brought into the program? 
Definitely. I mean, he was seen as a big win for Georgia. You know, at one point it looked like he was going to commit to Florida. He wound up committing to Georgia. I believe that was during the summer. And he was looked at as a guy that in time could be uh, the next cornerback up, a guy that in a couple years with some experience working with guys like Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, some of the uh, folks that coach in the secondary for the Bulldogs, that he had a chance to be really special. Um, You know, guys – with his physical ability, his speed, and with his size of like 6'1", 190, there was a lot to be excited about. And he also made for a good story when it came to him being a Bulldog. He was a guy that grew up. He went to Kirby Smart's youth camp. Uh, you know, I think he said that, you know, he told Kirby Smart, I'm going to be playing for you one day. He's from Columbus, Georgia, which is where Del McGee, Georgia's running backs coach, is from. It's been an area that's been very, very good to the Bulldogs over the years. Uh, so there was definitely a lot of hype about AJ, a lot of excitement about what he could do in time. And you saw little flashes of it along the way. And, uh, you know, now we'll see if he can carry that over and uh, make something of himself as a Nittany Lion. Now, he did burn redshirt. He was an early enrollee. Um, what exactly was his role with, with this 2023 Georgia roster? And, and let's remind everyone, this was a team that was seeking a third consecutive national championship and got very close to an opportunity to pursue it in the college football playoffs. So this is one of the most loaded rosters in America, if not the most talented. So what was he doing in year one? You know, he was more of a reserve. He was a guy you saw more in some of the blowout games, especially early in the season. Uh, when you look at Georgia's 2023 schedule, it sort of set up where those first four or five weeks were great opportunities for true freshmen like A.J. Harris to get in the mix in the second half or the fourth quarter of games, try to get their beak sweat a little, sort of learning what it takes. You know, I even go back to the spring, as you mentioned, he had been – an early enrollee, and he played quite a bit in Georgia's spring game, uh, actually led his team in tackles. So he showed glimpses uh, of what he could do. And, you know, he winds up playing in seven games this past season. Uh, he has eight tackles. He didn't play after the Florida game, which is in late October. I'm not sure what exactly was the decision there, if it was more of a matter of some of the other guys in his class sort of surpassing him or why exactly we didn't see him quite as much. Uh, but he showed flashes, and he was a guy that you know Kirby Smart talked about a good bit over the course of the season, talking about him getting experience, uh, learning what it takes to play corner in the SEC, which is super, super difficult to do. And uh, you know, I think there was reason to be excited if he came back for another year. Georgia was going to have a competition to fill the spot left by Kamari Laster, who's got a chance to be one of the first cornerbacks drafted in April. Uh, but he decided. He was going to go to the portal, and uh, as we know, he's now at Penn State. Now look, Penn State loses three cornerbacks who could be draft picks. Two of them could be day two, maybe day one kind of guys at that position. So we understand what the appeal is for a cornerback uh, looking around and surveying the market, especially when you look at what Penn State's been able to do at that position. Joey Porter Jr. today was named one of the five finalists for Defensive Rookie of the Year uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers in year one. But I'm curious, that's about what's next for Harris why is Athens, Georgia behind him based on what you've gathered and, and what you know about the situation? Well, I think it was just a super deep room. I think that you look at guys like Daniel Harris, who signed with uh, AJ in that class, um, Julian Humphrey, a guy that's a little bit older than both of those guys. I think AJ probably looked and saw that, you know, he would have a chance to start, but the competition was going to be stiff. I mean, Tyler, you talked about how deep the Georgia roster really is across the board. 
I think he looked around and saw that, you know, maybe it was in his best interest to look elsewhere. He's a very talented guy. I don't think anyone at Georgia would tell you differently. Um, but, you know, I think it was an opportunity to branch out, maybe uh, get a new start, kind of start a new chapter elsewhere. And uh, looks like uh, he'll get that opportunity. And really excited just as someone who's followed him for a long time to see what he's able to do with it because he has got a lot of talent. There's no doubt about it. And perfect segue because I want to tap into to your coverage of him on the Alabama high school fields prior to in Athens. And look, you got a sample size as a freshman, but what did it look like when Harris was the best player on the football field? Well, it's funny. You know, I can remember his sophomore year at Glenwood School, which was a private school in the state of Alabama. And, and to kind of compare it, private schools and the public schools, for the most part, in the state of Alabama play in different classifications. And I would compare it to minor league baseball, where private school football uh, in Alabama is kind of like class A. And then you talk about some of the bigger schools in Alabama, that's kind of triple A in baseball. And I remember him being a sophomore and you kept hearing about this kid at Glenwood that's returning punts and kicks for touchdowns left and right. And it was sort of like, okay, you know, this is a kid to keep an eye on. And you'll see some kids from those private schools wind up being really good college players. But, you know, you kind of want to watch and see how they develop. Well, he goes into camps. uh, I think that would have been after his sophomore year and is really turning heads with the way he is performing in coverage, his speed, his physicality at the position, which we know is so, so important at cornerback. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, this is not just a feel-good story from a little school in the state of Alabama. This that's got a chance to play division football. And you saw him play really well as a sophomore and a junior. I think to his credit, he winds up deciding uh, that he's going to transfer to Central Phoenix City which is in Alabama's highest classification. And he's really going to test himself. And he performed really, really well there. Central was very good with him at corner. And I thought he passed a lot of tests. And I think he, you know, proved a lot of doubters wrong who probably thought this guy's a very good private school player, but he's not going to be as good as he looks in these camps. He answered the challenge again and again. And I think that only made teams like Georgia more confident about what he could do once he got to a college campus. Uh, 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins. I know you and I know him well. He called Harris a smash-mouth-like approach in run support uh, in his scouting report on him coming out of of high school. Um, What does that look like? Because I know he had some really impressive testing numbers, 40-inch-plus vertical, uh, I think uh, 4-5 in the the 40-yard dash. But when we're talking about between the whistles, you know, some of the cornerbacks go hiding away. This guy seems to be someone, especially when you saw him in high school, who stepped up. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy that's not afraid to hit somebody. And that's been a trademark in some of Georgia's best cornerbacks. I think when you look at the way that Georgia has recruited the position under Kirby Smart, I'm sure that when they watched film of A.J. Harris, they said, hey, he reminds me of this guy. He reminds me of this guy that we've coached. And I think it's just a guy that wants to go make plays. I think he made that much clear in some of the comments he's made since he left Georgia that he wants to be a playmaker at the school that he goes to. He wants to be a difference maker. He's got the potential. I think he's just got to grow a good bit, you know, just learning how to play, play to play. You know, he's not going to make every play because no corner does that. Uh, But there's no doubt that he's still got a lot of untapped potential. Very clear to me why Penn State would look at him and target him. And why I think Nittany Lions fans should be really excited about what he is capable of doing. We are one question away from moving over to Jalen Kimber, who's another addition here in Happy Valley and another guy who spent time 
in Athens as a Georgia Bulldog. But I want to finish here considering what you've seen from him at the college level, what you saw from him at the high school level. What are you most curious about with Harris as he makes this move to Happy Valley? And I know it's not playing for the two-time defending champs, but he's playing for a team that sees itself as a college football title contender. And it's a team that has had a lot of success at the cornerback position. So the spotlight will still be there. What do you make of this opportunity for him? I think it's a great opportunity. And I think I said this a little earlier, just a, an opportunity for him to start a new chapter. And I think what's going to be interesting for me, following your guys' coverage of this Penn State team, just hearing how he settles in, because we know what he is capable of. Um, and people have been super excited about what he is able to do. Uh, I think it's a matter of just how does he fit in with a new team? It's going to be sort of a whole new world from him. I and mean, he's a, a guy that grew up in the Southeast, was no stranger to Athens, Georgia and he's going to start a new chapter of his football career. Really excited just to see how he handles that, how he meets the challenges of that Nittany Lions defensive staff. Uh, like I said, he's got a lot of potential, and uh, super excited to see what he's able to do with it. Oh, we'll see soon. I'll get on the practice field in, in a matter of about 10 weeks or so, uh, and we'll get a long, longer look. But appreciate it, Jordan. Uh, look forward to your coverage of the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, we're going to shift gear to elsewhere in SEC country right now, but thank you so much. Absolutely. All right, let's go and talk about a former Gator now, and he's also a former Bulldog, as we mentioned. But Jalen Kimber was a top 10 cornerback recruit coming out of high school, Mansfield Timberview High School down in Arlington, Texas, back in the 2020 recruiting class. He's a much further along in his college career. He's got a little bit more battle scars, more mileage. And we'll talk about him right now with Graham Hall, who covers the Florida Gators for 24-7 sports. Graham, appreciate you following up a, a, a conversation there. We'll try to double dip a little bit with this one because these are two guys that Penn State could be leaning on heavily in the secondary. So thank you for your time as well. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's a great chance to always talk about former Gators as well and how they may continue their career. And you're getting, I think, a very promising one in Jalen Kimber, who was hampered by injuries for the start of his career, but has a lot of potential. And he was second on the team in pass breakups last season. So clearly a lot of talent there. I want to begin with the fact that he's a two-time transfer. That's not out of the norm anymore in college football. In fact, it's kind of the norm in some ways. And he started off with the Georgia Bulldogs coming out of Texas, clearly a coveted commodity out of high school. Making the move, though, from when I think he spent two years in Athens and, and, and wasn't really a factor, making the move to Florida. Can you take us into kind of where your head was at with your coverage, kind of when you were in the same boat as us when he was new to campus? What was the vibe around Kimber's addition in Gainesville and kind of the expectation for what he might bring to the Gators? Yeah, coming from Georgia, his recruiting profile as well, I think that there was a lot of promise for him but that final season in athens he suffered a shoulder injury that kept him out for the majority of the end of the season in athens and then for the first start of spring camp in gainesville and that kind of limited his chance to be productive and then he returns for that first year of fall camp and in, in billy napier's first year with the program and then he breaks his hand you know just an unfortunate series of events he ends up rather than opting to get surgery and shut it down for a second straight year, he plays the rest of the year with a club on his hand and, and was pretty effective in coverage. Obviously couldn't be as effective when it came to takeaways and the variety of things that he can contribute with two hands, of course, but a guy that entered the 2023 offseason with experienced one of Florida's more experienced cornerbacks in a room that was very young. It was really just him and Jason Marshall, along with Jaden Hill, who's now at Texas A&M. 
Jaden ends up moving to that star nickelback position and it frees up Kimber to really be the other guy at outside cornerback there across from Marshall. And I thought he was pretty productive, you know, 23 tackles, I believe. He, like I said, had five pass breakups on the season. There were a few undesirables as well. And certainly that's not all on him. I mean, there were a lot of young players in that secondary that didn't make it a really easy job for him as well, um, but graded out well, in my opinion, uh, filled in for a guy in Devin Moore who also suffered a variety of injuries and an experienced guy. I believe that he's going to graduate in spring. So you're getting a, a guy who's going to be a graduate transfer, has some experience there. And I think with a new system, uh, a, a new you know, home and a new coaching staff. I, I think he has a chance to really excel there. But I think the storyline for him, unfortunately, was that Florida fans never really got to see him live up to his true potential, whether it was due to injuries, whether the amount of, you know, inexperience around him, how much that limited him. That was, I think, the narrative with him. And it makes a lot of sense because Florida didn't get much older in the offseason for the second straight year. And I think he realized that he had a better chance of showing what he can do at a place where there was a few, you know, older guys around him. And, and also it was, it was kind of a mutual parting of ways where Florida is intent on getting younger in the secondary, playing some of their younger guys that they brought in the past two years. And it allows Kimber to, to get a fresh start once again. He has a chance to go two, 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 uh, yeah, two years on some pretty significant uh, college football campuses going from Athens to Gainesville and now up here to state college if there was something that stood out in terms of progression, he didn't play much college football before he got to Gainesville. So from 2002 and the start of that to, to the conclusion of his Gators career, is there something you can pinpoint where you can say he made definitive developmental steps in that area? Yeah, I think from a physicality standpoint, a guy that absolutely benefited during his time in Gainesville, you know, you're, you're spending so much when you're recovering from injury on just you know, getting right and getting your body back in shape, you can kind of lose some of that lean muscle mass. And a guy who tested out really well, especially his first two years in Athens, he has a great vertical leap. He's a physical corner. I think at times he really didn't get to show what he could do because of those injuries. And I really thought in 2023, you saw more of what was advertised at the high school level, a guy who has the physicality and a good combination of speed, as well as really good coverage instincts. I mean, I think you saw that combination all start to really come together towards the tail end of the season. And, you know, it's unfortunate for him that he wasn't able to do that earlier and that injuries set him back. And obviously he's not the first one to have to deal with that. But I think that was really something you saw from him live up to the physical billing that people were expecting out of him coming out of the high school level. That's really something that we saw take off really towards the final seven, eight games of his final season here, the 2023 campaign in Gainesville. I think he's a guy that if he can continue to stay healthy, knock on wood, obviously, and, and trend in the right direction, the way that he moves, like I said, his verticality, he, you know, is really good when the ball is in the air at breaking up the pass. And I think that you're going to see that a lot this season, as long as he can, you know, string together another clean bill of health. That, that's really the key for a player like him. And, and I always kind of hesitate to talk about, a player's past injury woes, but I think in a guy like Kimber's case, it's never been a lack of football IQ or a ability to compete that has held him back. It's really just been the fact that he's dealt with back-to-back -back injuries during the first stretch of his Florida career and just really saw him come along towards the end of that last season there in a room that, like I said, had a young defensive coordinator. You saw that they parted ways 
with defensive backs coach Corey Raymond after the season. Maybe that was something that was hindering his ability to live up to the potential that people thought that he had. I really think that this is a guy who his best football is still ahead of him. And it is kind of unfortunate. He's probably going to look back on the first four years of his college career and, and say, I was capable of a lot more, but I got hit with the injury bug and I wasn't able to live up to my potential. And that kind of for Florida fans, they, I think maybe underappreciated how much talent he actually has and what he's capable of because he spent so much time, you know, 80, 70% healthy during his time in Gainesville. Medical perspective aside, and I know it's a little bit hard after everything you just covered and how it may have impacted him along the way. It, are there some inconsistent dynamics to his his overall body of work thus far that, that you feel like if he can address further, he can elevate his game in the Penn State secondary and ultimately elevate his draft stock? Because when we're talking about a, a former top 100 overall prospect, the expectation is they're going to be uh, 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 you know, on that board come NFL draft day and be be kind of buzzed about. And right now he's a guy that that's looking for a bit of a pivot point in his career to make sure it ends up that way. Yeah, I think in man coverage, he did leave a little bit to be desired. There were several sequences where he gave up a long pass and he was the guy in coverage. Again, maybe there wasn't a safety over the top that could have helped him a little bit more. And like I said, the inexperience, the change in coordinators, I mean, Florida altered their secondary coaching approach in back-to-back -back years, and that can maybe lead to some confusion, especially in the secondary and, and a little bit of a drop-off in communication. But I think that, you know, the film doesn't really lie. I think that there were some plays that he would like to have back, whether it was his fault or someone else's. There was a chance where he could make a play on the ball and just didn't quite make the play that he was looking to make. I think that absolutely from a tackling perspective as well, there is a little bit that was left to be desired last season, a few missed tackles that he should have been the guy to wrap up. And again, when you're a guy who's just getting healthy, getting back to the shape that you're in. I, I hate to keep coming back to his health there. I, you know, I think that that is a reasonable excuse that he could make for why he didn't make a play that many expected him to make. But if he continues to improve uh, in coverage, making open field tackles, I think that his angles, his pursuit ability are sound. I think that he is good at sensing out the rush and reacting well. I think his reaction time is really good. But there were multiple plays where, you know, the opponent took a shot deep and he was in position to make the play and just simply didn't make the play. And when that happens, I think that it can lead, especially when you're a team like Florida, that there was certainly a lot of gripes about what went wrong in Gainesville last year. And the defense was under a microscope. When, when you when you give up one, two bad plays, I think that you can develop a reputation as a guy who's a liability. And I don't really think that that is a fair assessment of Kimber's overall potential here. But if he improves a little bit more in man coverage, He's got a good football IQ, and if he continues to add to his frame, he's going to be just fine, in my opinion. And I think that you're going to look back in a couple of months and say this is a very wise addition from someone that I think a lot of people wrote off. You know, you transfer twice, they're going to become this label that, you know, you're, you're I hate to say bust or whatever, but that maybe that you're not cut out for the SEC or a physical style of play, whatever the narrative is. There were a lot of reasons why it didn't work out for Jalen Kimber, both at Georgia and at Florida. And, and I do think that a lot of them are not, they don't come down to his capabilities. And I think that he's going to show that moving forward. Graham Hall covers the Florida Gators for 24 seven sports. He was kind enough to join us here on a Thursday afternoon to discuss Jalen Kimber. Really a great perspective. I, I learned some stuff about him. I know our audience did as well. We'll get a chance to see him on the practice field this spring, start to learn more, but thank you for getting us a uh, you know, kind of foundation knowledge right there on Kimber. My pleasure. Y'all take care, man. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Good stuff uh, from our 24 7 sports teammates. Uh, we love to tap into those guys for, for upcoming matchups over the course of each season, but uh, really outstanding work across the network. And so when we can, we're going to do that. Uh, and, and, and just as we did on, on Tuesday with Patrick Murphy breaking down Julian Fleming and his Ohio State time, got a chance to do that today. Let's shift gears over to yet another really important Saturday on the recruiting trail for Penn State, the second of three straight where they'll be welcoming recruits to campus and who better than Tyler Calvaruso to guide us through and let us know what we need to know about this latest event in town. Tyler, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, man. I appreciate it. It's uh, going to be another fun weekend. You know, it might not be quite as loaded as last weekend. You know, there's a big seven on seven tournament going down in uh, Florida this weekend. So you're going to see a lot of guys who maybe could have visited down there this weekend. And they're going to be enjoying some nice weather, playing some ball. But uh, Penn State's going to be hosting its fair share of priority targets in multiple classes. So going to be another weekend of uh, tracking down visitor reaction. And it's what we love to do here, man. Absolutely. And then there was a ton of reaction coming out of, of the last weekend. And we had so much coverage uh, from Saturday, really through today, it feels like, of, of just uh, the feedback, um, some of the VIP content as well. That That is just based on what you and Brian Doan are hearing uh, from team facilities. Just a lot of on the record quotes uh, from recruits who are in town, uh, a lot of a variety of articles. And But we've shifted gear. We've been writing a lot about who's coming to town for this upcoming weekend. And we can go in a lot of different directions uh, to start. Uh, we're going to go with some groups that are coming to town, some individual standouts that are coming to town. But I wanted to circle back to a pair of names that we referenced on Tuesday, if that's okay with you, Michael Carroll on the offensive line and then Elbert Hill in the defensive backfield. Two guys that we've seen in the camp circuit, really impressed by them. Hill uh, is a 2026 prospect, and Carroll is not just a Nittany Lions legacy, but he's a 2025 guy. So the spotlight's shining a bit more on him and, and, and that class in general right now, as we saw Penn State add Owen Alessine to their class. They've got eight guys on board. They want to keep adding guys. And they want to build out that 2025 group. So let's begin there. Just kind of brush, uh, you know, kind of give us the the, the 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 summary, I guess, of where we're at with Hill, where we're at with Carroll. And, and we've got some other guys to dive into individually. But I wanted to backtrack since we mentioned both of them on Tuesday's very early preview of Saturday's Junior Day. 
Yeah, it seems like a common theme with a lot of uh, Penn State's 2025 targets on the offensive line. Alessine, obviously, being the exception of that with him on board with the commitment already is a lot of these guys are still kind of early in their decision making process. I think you're going to see that probably more and more with really every target on the 2025 board, or at least most. You know, I think uh, the recruiting calendar has kind of changed to a point where here in January, we used to see a little bit more action on the commitment front with these junior days. But I think now it's probably earlier in the cycle than ever, given unlimited official visits during the summer, the, the June official visits that take place. I think that's where the bulk of Penn State's 2025 class is going to come together. And Carroll looks like a guy who's going to be on one of those, you know, more extended timelines. Could he wrap things up maybe sooner rather than later? I think it's possible because I think Penn State has done a pretty good job with Carroll. And it's going to be another opportunity for the staff to get back with him. He's going to be back with offensive line coach Phil Trotwin on Saturday. The relationship between those two is really good. There's a lot of appeal for Carroll when it comes to Penn State. But again, he's going to continue making visits. He's got a pair of visits scheduled beyond Penn State. He's probably going to be taking more visits in the spring before he gets around to the official visits. So Carroll's he's probably a little bit further away than, you know, again, some of the other names that we've seen in the past, you know, guys like Cooper Cousins who decided to wrap up their recruitment early. He's probably not in that ilk, but I think Penn State has a lot of good things working for it in this recruitment. And, you know, it's one of those ones where – do I think the Nittany Lions have enough to get it across the finish line when the time comes? I do, but there's definitely some pretty stiff competition elsewhere, specifically in the SEC. You know, Michigan's been involved with Carroll as well. Wolverine staff dropped in on him for a visit earlier this week. He's been getting a bunch of attention with coaches on the road. But Penn Florida, State, we were just yeah. talking about Florida. They they stopped by. His, uh, they they offered uh, this week. So yeah, he's got a lot going on. Yeah, he does. And Florida, might, Gainesville might be a place that he makes it for a visit. So again, you know that SEC interest. You've got other Big Ten programs. The Michigan State staff, the new Michigan State staff just reoffered him. So it's a busy recruitment. One Penn State has fared pretty well in, though, I have to say. Yeah, out of Central Bucks East is Carroll, uh, a guy who got, picked up his offer this past summer. He's considered the number 25 interior offensive lineman. And I know whenever you throw, it, it's kind of something you should I should never do, the two-part questions, and I do it very often. But just to get back to Albert Hill, because yeah. I addressed that a little bit on Tuesday, just about he was he was probably one of the top five defensive backs that I really enjoyed watching over the course of last summer and all those different prospect camps. And, and to think that he was not even to his sophomore season yet at that time, uh, the one kind of knock on him over the course of the day would have been his size a little bit. And then you remember, he's not to his sophomore season of high school yet. Don't pay too much attention to that. The footwork, the competitiveness, the ball skills, his ability to go and attack the football, and then his one-on-one -on -one work against guys that he was giving up five, six inches to. You saw it with Elbert Hill, and you thought, okay, he's at Archbishop Hoban in Akron, Ohio. That's a place that's always going to have the attention. He has stacked up the Power 5 offers that has continued since we saw him on the camp circuit, but – Getting back to town now here, seeing getting a chance to be a bit more intimate with the Penn State staff in this kind of a setting seems like a key opportunity for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, and when you look at it through you know Penn State lens, his size definitely isn't going to be a deterrent moving forward because you look at 2025 commit Xavier Thomas from Pittsburgh Central Catholic. He's around that 5'10", 160 range. Elbert Hill also in that 5'10", 160 range. So, you know, he, he, he checks out size-wise for the Penn State staff, and that's a big reason why. He has kind of quickly stood out as one of those priority corners in the 2026 class. I know we're a ways away from talking about that 2026 class and really zoning in on guys. We're never as far away as you think, though. We're I'm never sorry, as Nick far away as you think. <laughs> But no, man, he's uh, – I understand why you like him so much. I have similar feelings on Elbert Hill. His film's really good. Yeah, I think he's an elite defensive back prospect in the Midwest. I really do. 
you know, early on, I got to do some asking around about Hill during the fall. And, you know, Ohio State's really involved there. And the Buckeyes are going to have a lot of pull in that recruitment. But I think Terry Smith has done a really, really good job with Elbert Hill early on. I think the relationship between those two is really good. Every chance that I've gotten to talk to Hill, he has had, you know, some pretty in-depth praise for Smith. And Smith's a guy who Hill feels can develop and help him get to the next level. So I do think this is another recruitment. Granted, still very, very early. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I well, think cool. that <laughs> Penn State is in a good spot along with Ohio State. But we're going to have to see where it goes. And this visit is another opportunity for the staff to just continue building, you know, because you want to keep getting a guy like Hill back to campus. He's already been to Ohio State for a bunch of visits. He's been to Penn State multiple times. He was on campus during the fall for a game day visit. So I think it's kind of easy to get a gauge on where his interest, his level of interest is in the Nittany Lions right now. It's pretty up there, but it's going to be a competitive recruitment, man, especially with Ohio State pushing for an in-state guy at corner. I think that's going to be a big storyline with them moving forward. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I, was just going, I was just going to say that at the cornerback position, led by Terry Smith and what they've done and what they've produced at the professional level, that is an area that they are executing at an elite level, but they're also selling the position at an elite level. Yeah. We just spent the first half of this episode discussing the talent that they just brought in from some really impressive talent or talented prospects. Now, what will they be with the Penn State? Will they be as good as the Kalen Kings and Joey Porters of the world? We don't know that yet, but these guys have the abilities – and they're able to bring guys like that in. And uh, Albert Hill is going to be a dogfight down the stretch, but it feels like cornerback, tight end, running back, these are areas, and, and maybe I'm missing some, that it just feels like they can cater to the best of the bunch across America right now and have a realistic shot to win the argument and to win the day. Um, let, let's stick with another defensive back who really impressed us during summer prospect camps last year in State College, and that's Jadon Blair. Size definitely not an issue here, Tyler. Uh, you know, six foot four, 180 plus pounds. Uh, just the guy who really pops off the field when you watch him with position groups, especially when he's surrounded by defensive backs. He's out of Mount Tabor High School in Winston Salem, North Carolina. He's considered a number 14 safety overall, top 24 7 prospect, and a four star prospect at that no crystal balls in for this guy but he's over 20 offers the sec has been calling he's got regional options there north carolina up to virginia and then of course penn state has been a player here for a while yeah i I honestly think penn state probably ahead of this visit is at the top of his list based on the feedback that we've been receiving and some of the things blair has had to say about penn state his relationship with anthony poindexter in specific you know you mentioned that camp performance and he was a standout that day i feel like whenever i write about blair and, you know, his relationship with Penn State. And, you know, we, go, we circle back to that camp performance. I, want to, I always find myself touching on the fact that he was banged up that day at that camp. You know, he'd been dealing with a lot of nagging soreness, a lot of nagging injuries from camp season and seven-on-seven play, and even going all the way back to his basketball season during the winter. So, I mean, he got out there to camp at Penn State, not 100%. Sometimes you see guys when they're not 100%, they just straight up don't camp because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to get hurt. They don't want to further injury. They don't want to hurt their stock either with potential, you know, testing times that are lesser than what they normally post. Blair wasn't phased by any of that. He got out there. He was one of the most impressive defensive backs really throughout one-on-one drills or not one-on-one drills, excuse me, individual work. He decided not to participate in one-on-one drills, which, you know, he, he was grinding out there. So he showed the staff a lot of good stuff while he was on campus for that camp. And he told me he, Penn State was really the only place that he wanted to camp during the summer because he wanted to get back with Poindexter and get some work in with him and just learn more from him. So I think that says a lot about the state of that relationship, and that's a relationship that's continued to grow from that point on throughout 
Blair's junior season at Mount Tabor. So I think Penn State's, they're trending nicely right now. I think Notre Dame probably would have been more of a player for Blair had Ethan Long not gone off the board to the fighting hours. It seemed like Notre Dame was pretty heavily involved there for a little while. There are some intriguing SEC suitors. You know, South Carolina's one. He was just there for a visit. Mississippi State is a staff that – the new staff down there, he's looking to get to know them a little bit better. But uh, Penn State's in a pretty good spot here right now. So, you know, again, I wouldn't put him on commitment watch or anything like that. I mean, if you really go look at the list for this weekend that we have up on lines 24-7, you know, there aren't really many guys standing out on, like, who could pop this weekend. You know, as opposed to last weekend, we were keeping an eye on a few guys. This weekend, maybe not so much because guys are a little bit further away. But Penn State's trending for Blair, I would say. All the intel that I've gotten on him, that's the indication. I would have loved to have seen Blair that day at camp, you know, cover some tight ends, cover some smaller, yeah. shiftier wide receivers. But what you brought up in that work that he did with Anthony Poindexter, that's what I'll remember. I mean, Anthony Poindexter, I mean, he he was just a sponge, it seemed like. Poindexter is, is very vocal in these practice settings. And I just remember him standing there absorbing it. He was one of the leaders in the drill work, if not the first guy in that work, despite what you said being banged up a bit. And what we have heard in feedback from Blair and our reporting at 24-7 Sports has been that Poindexter has made a mighty impression mm -hmm. and and maybe you have to include poindexter because he's a guy who's been able to sell that safety position really well too yeah. um and, and so I, I think i think that that relationship and and you know who was a big physical safety anthony poindexter a former all-american at that position as well and, and a college football hall of fame inductee he's really brought in a nice package as a recruit and a coach to that position and where that position room has gone in recent years is notable. Um, looking over to the wide receiver spot, because it wouldn't be a Lions 24-7 podcast if we didn't talk about the wide receiver position. Uh, Desi Jones out of the Paul Catholic in Wayne, New Jersey. He's a top 20 wide receiver in the 2025 cycle. Six foot, 180 pounds, solid size for, for a high school junior. Uh, number 168 overall in the top 24-7. And another guy who has a nice collection of power five offers at his disposal florida a school that showed up on his radar uh, i believe ohio state offered during the course of his junior season he's making the trip here another chance uh for marcus Hagens to do some work yeah desi jones is a really good player man i got i got the chance to see him play against bishop mcdevitt during the fall and he's such a smooth route runner he has good hands. You know, Penn State is doing well with a lot of receivers in kind of Jones's range in terms of rankings. While, you know, those 100 through 200 type guys, Penn State has put itself in a good spot with a bunch of guys in that range, and Jones is one of them. When you look at Desi Jones's recruitment, he hasn't been into a ton of places, but Penn State is a place he – I think it's the only place he has checked out multiple times. Maybe Rutgers as well. I'm going to have to go and look back at that. But he has been to Penn State multiple times, a guy who made it back for a visit during the fall. And I think Penn State is faring pretty well with him early on. That receivers board, yeah, I feel like this is kind of a caveat that I have to throw in every time we do talk receivers. So every episode, like you mentioned, that board is still coming together, right? You know, Marcus Hagan is still hard at work evaluating, you know, deciding that pecking order. But Jones is a guy who's probably higher up than most, I would say. You know, Penn State really wanted to get him back to town for this visit. And look, you know, we're going to have to see where things go with Jones from this point on. You know, what's he going to decide to do? On the Viz Fund, he's probably a guy who his recruitment probably extends a little bit further. And that, again, that's going to be a common theme in this 2025 class and future classes, I would say. But Penn State's doing pretty well with Jones. Uh, I think the relationship with Hagens and Jones is, is a good one. And those two are going to get back together on Saturday. You're going to get some more opportunities to get comfortable with each other.
And then these 2025 receivers, we hope to see many of them in camp action this yes. upcoming summer as they're sorting through that process. And we'll see who's on board and who's not on board and all that different stuff. But uh, still kind of building out the prospect profiles when when you're still fairly early. You're, at, you're through your junior season. That's the most important season in your high school career in terms of, of making sure you're on the recruiting radar. But these are not you know, complete polished prospects yet. And as they continue to go through the camps uh, circuit, we're going to learn more about this receiver class. Because as you said, so many names out there, a lot of darts on the board, I guess you could say from Penn mm -hmm. State. How does the pecking order get sorted out? And obviously it works both ways. Guys have want to have to come to your campus, but really curious to what Marcus Higgins does from here on out with this receiver group and, and, and kind of how he establishes the priorities. And now that the, several of them will have come to campus here in the winter. Um, let's, let's stick in Jersey. I know that's not a problem for, for you, Tyler. Um, back uh, before I covered Penn State and I was dealing in national recruiting news all the time, Rashawn Gary, a young defensive lineman, kept bringing me back to Paramus Catholic and bringing me back to Paramus Catholic. And I got to know pretty well that Paramus Catholic is going to have power five guys every single year. And they have in the decade that has passed. And Malachi Goodman is among the younger ones to know. He's not so young anymore, but he's somebody who popped on the radar pretty early as an underclassman. Now 2025 junior, 6'5", 315 pounds is what we have him at at 24-7 sports. He's at 20 offers. Those include the likes of Georgia. And, yeah, so there's a lot of pull. This is a very much a non-regional recruitment feel to it. And yet this is a major regional opportunity for Penn State. Yeah, Primus Catholic had a few years where it wasn't really churning out power five talent like it was when it had guys like Jabril Pepper, Sean Gary, you mentioned a bunch of others. Had a few years where, you know, there were some struggles on the field, but they're starting to get some more talent back to Primus Catholic. And Malachi Goodman is arguably the best the program has to offer right now from a prospect standpoint. He could play on the interior at the next level, I think. He could play tackle at the next level, I think. He's a guy who has really moved up Phil Trotman's board really since that offer went out during the fall. And it, I kind of agree with the assessment that it could definitely play out to become a non-regional recruitment. I think his offer list has grown to the point where he's he's got options to play pretty much anywhere. You know, I think he's kind of – he's starting to move up to that point. I can see why. He moves very well. He's agile. We mentioned earlier in the week, we talk about what Phil Trawling looks for out of his offensive lineman and a certain mold that he recruits these guys. And I think Goodman fits that mold. And that's a big reason why he's been able to move up the board in the manner that he has – going to be his first visit in a little while. So getting back to camps, get more familiar with the staff. For me, he's besides Blair and Carroll, he's probably the third most intriguing visitor of the weekend for me. I'm very interested to see where his recruitment goes. Early buzz has indicated that Penn State's doing well, but again, he, it's still really early and he's still sorting through all these new offers that are rolling in as coaches continue to drop by Paramus Catholic. So it's probably good that Penn State's getting Goodman on campus now. I'd anticipate this visit plays out pretty well and leads to another spring visit before he locks in his official visit schedule because again, like I said, I do think based on what I've been hearing, Penn State's doing pretty well with Malachi Goodman, but it, it's still kind of early, so we're going to have to wait and see what comes of this weekend feedback-wise. Let's go down to Florida. A couple recruits to get to who are making a long distance venture up the Happy Valley. Ramondo Johnson is one of the hotter edge rusher prospects mm -hmm. in South Florida right now. You look at how his offer list has swelled in the month of January at a Palm Beach Central High School there. And and and, and look, I, I, Jaywan Sider, never doubt him. I know he opens a lot of doors. I'm sure he's involved here, defensive lineman or not edge rusher or not, Jaywan Slater is going to be part of the process when it's in Florida. But what else can you tell us about this recruitment? And this is a guy who got a lot of options to be on a lot of different campuses on this particular weekend where there are junior day events and different 
recruiting events uh, going on with this open window for visits. And yet he's going to be coming up here to, to uh, snowy Happy Valley. Yeah, Johnson made the move over to Monarch High and not so coincidentally, Jaywan Sider was down there for a visit last week, and he was one of the guys that he checked in with. You know, I wrote about this yesterday when Ari Watford, who was one of Penn State's top 25, 2025 targets on the edge, went off the board with the commitment to Clemson. You know, the Northeast isn't necessarily loaded on edge rusher options in the 2025 class. One guy Penn State really likes in the region is Cortez Harris, who I just heard from before we hopped on the air here. He is looking to make it back to campus this weekend. That's a pretty big visit for Penn State. Penn State really, really likes Cortez Harris out of the DMV. But back to Johnson, he's just, you know, he's one of the more impressive edge rushers who's not in the region, I would say, that Penn State is involved with. Yeah, he's um he has a good first step. You know, he's agile, plays low, so that's a plus. That's something the staff looks for, average edge rushers. It, this is we mentioned guys like Blair, Carroll, you know, they have plenty of familiarity with the staff already. Johnson has a good relationship with J1 Sider and Dion Barnes early on, but he hasn't been around, obviously, as a Florida guy. So he's gonna get to town, you know, kind of feel things out. Weather's gonna be a little bit better for him this weekend, so I guess that's a plus. But I uh, I'm interested to see what comes of it because again. Northeast, you know, but I think Penn State's going to have to expand its recruiting footprint for edge rushers a little bit in this 2025 cycle. And that's not a bad thing by any means, right? Because you throw on the tape, a guy like Ramondo Johnson can really, really play. So Penn State's in the thick of it with him, but he's picking up seemingly an offer by the day. So Penn State has an opportunity to make an impression on him this weekend. And how good of an impression do they make? You know, maybe get him back for the spring and you get the groundwork for an official visit late, depending on how things played out. I feel like that's the goal for both parties involved with this visit. Ramondo Johnson's coming off a, a junior day visit to, to Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. He also saw Florida State and Florida playing the season finale there in, in, in that classic matchup in the Sunshine State. Um, very much some local flavor to that process down there, but going to get a, very non-local coming up here to Happy Valley. And then another guy, Miami Central. Hopefully I have this high school right. I'm going off our 24-7 sports profiles. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised to hear there's a South Florida prospect transferring schools. That's not oh, exactly that shocking news. But um, Ezekiel Marcellin out of Miami Central. Uh, three-star linebacker. He's a top 40 linebacker overall nationally. Um, some Big Ten feel uh, to, to this recruitment as well as, as some of those schools have entered the mix of late. But uh, SEC schools, uh, uh, not necessarily the cream of the crop in the SEC. And as we mentioned, it's a three-star rating. So this may be a classic example of a guy who may feel a little bit discounted in his neck of the woods because of all the talent around him. Maybe he gets a chance to, to check out Penn State and, and feels a little bit of a different vibe. So one one that I'll be curious to see what the pulse is like on Sunday once he's had that experience. Yeah, and unlike a lot of the Florida kids who visit at this point of the year, he's been to Penn State before. He Remember, I'm, we got eyes on him during the, uh, the All-22 Regional at State College High, and he had a visit with the staff the day before, and that's when he got his offer. And that was an offer he was really, really excited about. You know, when we got eyes on him, he looked pretty good. You know, when we, again, we always talk about in the camp setting when you got guys being physical and you you could hear some of the contact they're making without pads on. Like, it opens a little bit of eyes. And he tested pretty well that day, too. The thing with Marcel and that I think, you know, you mentioned his offer list and where he's at. He's a little bit shorter. He's a little bit on the shorter side for a linebacker. He's, I think he's around 6'1", So he's definitely smaller than some of the other targets on Penn State's board. But I think as Tom Allen, you know, and the staff, they work through that linebacker position. They've already got a guy on board in DJ McClary that they like. Alex Tesh is trending towards Penn State. Those are two potential mics, again, for the Nittany Lions if those, you know, Tate decides 
to join in that 2025 class. Marcelin's probably a little bit different of a player, and that's good because, you know, you're not just going to stack up on Mike Backers in every single recruiting class. Got to target guys who can play some Will, play some Sam, do a bunch of different things for you. I think Marcelin kind of fits that profile. So with him making it to campus, he's going to get the chance to know Tom Allen a little bit better, get a better idea for his scheme. Because remember, this offer came when Manny Diaz was still in place as a defensive coordinator. Marcelin had a lot of praise for Diaz coming out of that visit. Now it's time for him to get to know Allen and what he has planned for Penn State. Recently, there was the uh, the All American National Showcase down in San Antonio that kind of coincides with with the the the, the it culminates with the uh, All American Bowl, which features the senior. But you have a bunch of juniors and sophomores and, and kind of the next batch up, the next wave of prospects involved in that combine. And twenty four seven Sports pointed to to Ezekiel Marcellin as a first team performer at linebacker yeah. at that combine event, uh, calling him head and shoulders above nearly all other linebackers on the field, and phrasing it as elite ball tracking skills. Uh, and you could probably count the number of catches he allowed on one hand. So. That's an interesting thing to read. That'll also be worth checking next time there's a, a rankings update for the 2025 class. Yeah, if, if that was able to make it enough of an impression to move the meter and bring him up closer to four-star status or into four-star status outright. Um, Tyler, is that, that's the list we had, five guys. I know I wanted to mention a group coming. Is there anyone else you wanted to kind of just pop on people's radar here if they hadn't been tracking our coverage? And there's a lot more to coverage be, to come because it's only Thursday afternoon. A lot of these guys won't be around till Saturday morning into Saturday afternoon. So there's plenty of time for more confirmations. Yeah, bigger 2026 group this weekend, at least a little bit bigger. Davion Brown's a top 20 wide out from Virginia who's planning to make it to campus. He was looking to make it to campus last weekend for the first junior day. That wasn't able to happen, but he is expecting to be in town this weekend. That's a, that's a pretty big early recruitment. You know, he's an elite prospect, and I think he's got a good relationship with Marcus Higgins early on. So that's notable. Knife here, Helton from Jersey, you know, down at Winslow Township, which is where Bill Belton is the head coach. He's been to Penn State a bunch, coming off a visit to Rutgers. I know he's coming off a pretty impressive sophomore season, so that's a visit to keep an eye on. Connor Cardi's a 2025 offensive lineman from Texas who's going to be making the trip. Always notable when an out-of-region guy makes it for a junior day, you know, especially when you're from Texas. That's a trip. Uh, beyond that, I mean, we talked about Hayden Bradley earlier in the week. Oh, actually, you know what? I do want to talk about Hayden Bradley real quick because, man. You have the floor, it, sir. Ever since we talked about him on Tuesday, his recruitment has just completely blown up. So credit us. Credit us, please. Yeah, we did some Hayden, PR work credit us for those offers. <laughs> yeah, we uh, that's customer service summed up right there. But, uh, no, nah, man, I mean, Florida, Michigan, he, he just the offers are rolling in for him. And, you know, rightfully so. He plays at a good Georgia program at Buford. He's athletic as hell. I mean, he's got a good wingspan, multi-sport athlete. So I'm not surprised to see that blow up, but he's going to be in town this weekend. Ty Howell's looking to get that relationship off to the ground. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because tight ends will come from near and far to, to spend time in Happy Valley, and you understand what the motivation is on their end. I wanted to get to a, a, a group coming up from Delaware, Middletown High School, which is where Chris mm -hmm. Godwin, of course, once starred. He was a, a member of James Franklin's first recruiting class here, became an All-Big Ten receiver, became a Super Bowl champion with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers down the road, going to be making himself a lot of money in the NFL for more years to come. Uh, but three players from the sophomore class, the 2026 class at Middletown, are making the trip. And these are guys who all have Power 5 offers in their pocket as they head to Penn State. Penn State has not offered any of them, but receiver B.J. Garrett, who's six foot three, 
frame at receiver. Uh, defensive back Dorian Rutledge, another six foot three athlete. Maybe he's a linebacker long term because we are talking about halfway through high school. They're going to continue to develop. And then one I'm really intrigued by, Amari Glover, who I had a chance to catch up with on Thursday morning, a running back out of that Middletown program. Uh, he has been offered by Duke and Syracuse. In fact, Duke has offered all three of these guys. In the case of Glover and Rutledge, uh, they picked up their Duke offers just last week. So Manny Diaz approves of what he's seen from them as prospects. Of course, Penn State recruiting at a bit of a different level than the Duke Blue Devils and uh, certainly being selective as heck at the running back position as they are entitled to do with their success there. But Amari Glover was back on campus or was on campus back in January 2023 for a junior day. So he's been on the radar for a long time. Uh, he was in attendance when, when they played West Virginia in the season opener. And so he views this as a chance to really get face-to-face -face with some offensive staff members and, and try to establish himself as someone who's going to be a, a, a name and, and someone to keep uh, you know kind of on that radar moving forward longer term and into camp season, et cetera. But I think these three, just you know, three guys who are just starting to pile up some Power 5 offers and, and FBS offers and really just starting to smell it, Tyler. And I think in all three of their cases, they get to the camp circuit in, in March, April, May, June. And, and, and by the time they roll around to their junior seasons in September, we're talking about double-digit offer totals really for all three, in my opinion. But I think they're good examples of the kind of guys that you get in the cluster of a junior day visit where you do have the, the, the upper echelon players that have been established on your target boards since maybe their freshman year guys that you have really made it clear that you want them in your recruiting class. And then you've got more of the periphery or, you know, where it's guys that you're just not quite sure about and you want to see what they look like at 16 years old versus 14 and 15 years old. And are they getting faster? Are they getting stronger? Are they getting more productive? Do they look like a Penn state football player or are they turning away from that? And those questions won't get necessarily answered this Saturday, but I guarantee you we're going to see new offers. Not necessarily for any of these Middletown guys. Maybe you do, but we saw, what, five, six new offers surface after last week's visits. It will happen again. I just think that's really a cool aspect of these junior days. We do tend to have hyper-focus on the guys who are on that target board already and have the offers. But there are players on this guest list that we're not discussing now. We're kind of just glossing over that two years from now, they're going to be key components of the class potentially or key components of the target board. So really just fun stuff to follow when we're talking about high school sophomores and in some cases, high school freshmen. Yeah, that, that's always a really fun part of these junior days. You know, guys pop onto the radar with offers. We saw multiple offers go out last weekend. You know, we're going to see what comes about on the offer front again this weekend. But they, that's probably one of the uh, more underrated parts of these junior day visits, you know, guys leave towns with fresh opportunities and that's great for their recruitment. So that's something that you always love to see come out of junior days with those middle town guys, man, three really good prospects. I think they're intriguing, but BJ Garrett's the one who really stands out to me at this point. I've talked to people at Middletown who think he's the best player they've had since Chris Godwin. So wow. yeah, I think that he's going to be, uh, I think he's going to be a big time prospect for that move forward as he uh, continues to develop physically. I definitely anticipate some more offers for all three of those guys, but I think Garrett could be the one who really blows up. I really like his tape too. Yeah, good luck to everybody in their classification in Delaware for the next couple yeah. of years. <laughs> uh, Tyler, I really appreciate it. You have been killing it with the junior day coverage. And we've got another one to look to next week. But thank you so much for your perspective here on the podcast. And even more so for, for feeding our very, very hungry readers at Lions 24-7 with the latest on the recruiting front as Penn State gears up for another one. Yep, of course. Looking forward to uh, catching up with you discuss what comes this weekend. We'll do it. Talk to you soon.
in case you missed our last episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast, I mentioned we, we did some intel gathering on, on Julian Fleming discussing his time at Columbus. We also had Tyler Calvaruso really breaking down in detail a lot of what we learned last weekend. So I know that that we're talking about the next recruiting visit and, and, and the next junior day. But if you skipped over last episode for whatever reason, go check it out because I think you'll have a really stronger understanding of, of how these days can be impactful and just what Penn State was able to accomplish last weekend. Kudos to Tyler for his coverage. Before him, we had uh, we had Jordan Hill and we had uh, Graham Hall, who covered Georgia and Florida, respectively, for 24-7 sports. Great insight from them on A.J. Harris and Jalen Kimber. We will be back next week with multiple episodes, wrapping up January, getting into February, getting closer to the next signing day. Will it produce much for Penn State it's hard to say these days because the February signing day has kind of dried out in terms of uh, what it used to be uh, but we will be gearing up towards focus for that we'll be talking a little bit more about NFL draft stuff and of course winter workouts getting underway in Penn State very soon which are followed by spring practices so the wheels are in motion we're getting our way working our way back towards the pads coming back on but in the meantime a lot to learn about the roster I think we did that today thank you for joining us on behalf of everyone here in the 24 seven sports and lines 24 seven community thank you as always stepping aside for now i'm tyler donahue take care cbs friday tv's hottest show is fire country i'm not a hero i'm in orange for a reason they're taking 12 months off your sentence you're free lady with a special epic season finale now that i'm out i need something to get me up in the morning you are a firefighter used to be that will be unforgettable in the name of your life's happiness go get your girl she's getting married tomorrow says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want the fire country season finale friday 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus